When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast and lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We were out in Berea today watching Brown's OTAs, our first practice that we've gotten to see this season with mostly the full squad. We'll kind of get to who was there and, and who wasn't a little bit later, but uh, let, let's just kind of go through some observations and some things we heard today. So along with practice, we heard from Elijah Moore, Zadarius Smith, Jordan Akins, uh, Juan Thornhill, um, Kevin Stefanski. Maybe forgetting someone, I don't know. But we heard from a, a number of guys uh, after practice today as well. So, Mary Kay, why don't you start us off some observation that you saw or, or heard after practice today? Well, the the first thing that I really wanted to watch during practice and the person I really wanted to talk to was Zadarius Smith. Uh, we had not had an introductory press conference with him yet. So this was our first opportunity to talk to him, to see him out there on the field. And so we kind of got the whole thing all at once today. And it was really cool. I liked his interview. I thought he did a really nice job. He showed a lot of energy. He showed like he was, he, you know, seemed like he was really into it. I had heard that he's not like a really good media guy, that he's organized, like that he's boycotted the media in the past, that he's not your go-to guy, but that's not the experience that we had with him today. Now, maybe this is the honeymoon period and things will change after this, but he was great today. And I've gotten some pretty good reports from, uh, you know, people, you know, that have worked with him so far, uh, you know, in the organization and they have good reports about him so far. So, you know, he, he comes in with, I even asked him, you know, you just seem really, really happy. And he said, that's because this is the start of something special. Um, and I really do believe that he thinks that. And probably the number one of the number one things that stood out to me, uh, you know, were the things that he said about Miles Garrett and how are those two guys going to mesh and work together. Now, Miles is one of the guys that wasn't there today. So we didn't get to see those two guys interact. And I think that's going to be a key to the season. I think they're going to have to get along and I think they're going to have to work well together on and off the field. They're going to have to sort of find their place together. Um, But it really seems like Zadarius is excited. It seems like Miles reached out to him. He did reach out to him and and welcome him to the team right away. Uh, Miles told him that he thinks they can be the best duo in the NFL. We've heard him say that before. Uh, with Jadavian, but now he's got an opportunity to do this, um, you know, with Zadarius. And if Miles is talking like that, 
then he's coming into it with a really good attitude. So I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, Ashley, I, I liked how Zadarius sounded today. I didn't get to hear it live, but I, I did go back and, and get to hear it um, after you know after we were all done with everything. And you could tell he was in a good mood. Uh, he was he was excited to be here. Uh, he was honest about his contract and about playing hurt last year and why he was playing hurt. And I think that there is kind of a level of like, hey, I can go out and show what I can do, be that dominant double-digit sack guy. He even said that today, that, that he wants to, to get back to double-digit sacks. And, you know, that would ultimately result in, now he didn't say this directly, but that would ultimately result in him getting paid again. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when he was being honest about his contract situation, you know, he did say he got, you know, out of Minnesota like he wanted and he'll be able to become a free agent next year. So I think that's very enticing for a guy who has racked up the sacks, you know, the last three out of four years, he's had double digit sacks. Uh, You know, and again, it's like he was a guy who they were talking about for defensive player of the year before he got hurt, had that knee injury. And like he said, you know, he continued to play through that even though his production dipped because he like wanted to get all the money he could out of that contract, the way it was set up. So I definitely agree with Mary Kay. Like I thought I was kind of surprised by his demeanor because I had read her reporting on that. And I'm like, Hmm, I just, I wonder how he's going to be like, if he's going to set the tone of being a quieter guy or something like that. But, you know, I thought he showed great personality and kind of responding to some of our questions and even joked a little bit, you know, someone asked him if, he liked to rush from inside and he made, you know, a kind of joke about, well, he's not going to give everything away, but yes, I do like to rush from the inside, but I, I overall thought it was a really interesting kind of insightful interview that we got with him. And Mary Kay, when you look at this line with Miles and Zadarius, who are both capable of getting double digit sacks, we saw Oboe uh, come close to double digit sacks last year. He's a guy that, that if he can, you know, put together 17 games, he can get to that number it starts to make you think, like, could this look a little bit like that D-line that Jim Schwartz had in Buffalo the one year when I, I think he had four guys get a, get into double digits and sacks? I, I mean, that's that's what he's shooting for. And I think guys are genuinely, we haven't had a chance to, to talk to everybody, but it does feel like the guys that we have heard from are really excited to play for Jim. Yeah, and you know what? I talked to a number of defensive linemen for the Philadelphia Eagles Uh, during Super Bowl week that had played for Jim Schwartz. And the minute I mentioned his name to them, their eyes lit up. It was genuine. I'm telling you right now, it was not BS because we know what his philosophy is. It's go forward, get to the quarterback, ask questions later, take names later, just get there, disrupt the quarterback. That's what we want you to do. So the dogs are going to eat and, you know, they do get excited about that. And I think that, there is the potential for the three top rushers to all be in double-digit sacks. And I'm talking about Miles, I'm talking about Zadarius, and I'm talking about Oboe. I think all those three guys can do it. Um, And I I think they're going to have plenty of opportunities to do so. And those three guys will rotate. They'll stay fresh. They'll roll in. They'll rotate. Um, I did also ask um, Zadarius if he has... NFL Defensive Player of the Year aspirations. Uh, and he said, yes, he, he does. And that is exactly the conversation that he was in after seven games last year when he was tied for the NFL lead with eight and a half sacks after seven games. He was on pace for 20, on pace for 20 sacks last year when he was in Minnesota. 
he was leading Miles Garrett by one sack. Miles was in fifth place at that time, only one sack behind uh, Zadarius Smith and Matthew Judon of, of New England. Then, of course, we know what happened with Zadarius Smith. He ended up getting a knee contusion in week nine against the Buffalo Bills. It was a monster game he was having. He had nine pressures in that game and then one more sack for a total of nine and a half in his first nine games. Uh, then he completely disappeared off the, I said he fell off the sack cliff. He really did. I mean, he only had a half a sack in his final seven games of the season. And I think that scared some teams off. Teams were worried about, you know, what that was all about. So people, teams were not really clamoring to trade for him necessarily. Um, fortunately for the Browns, they were able to work out a deal with the Vikings. We're talking about Andrew Barry and his old colleague, uh, Quasi Adolfo Mensa, worked through this deal and came up with something that worked for everyone. But Zadarius Smith, yes, he's got aspirations for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. So now there are two guys on this Browns defense that can actually say, that they want that and have a chance to get it. So I think that's really significant. And Ashley, just to kind of pull at that Jim Schwartz thread a little bit, a little bit more, um, you know, it's a silly thing. It's one of those, you know, spring training camp stories, but we, we show up and Jim Schwartz is wearing a 51 Jersey. Like what, what's he doing? My first thought is, is he like a baseball manager now? And <laughs> we, you know, we come to find out that it's kind of his way of, of rewarding guys who, who put in some, some work who, kind of stand out and and this time it was Jordan Kanashik. So that's something to watch. I mean that that's one of those kind of silly training camp OTA spring things, but also I do think that means a lot to guys, especially especially as you get into like the dog days and it's hot and they're working like crazy and their defensive coordinator kind of goes that that little extra mile to to kind of single you out. Yeah, and Kevin Stefanski got asked about it after practice. And I mean, it sounds like from what he said, and we'll talk to Jim Schwartz, we're supposed to talk to Jim Schwartz um, next week at one of these OTA practices. But I do like it sounded like this is something he's done on his past teams that he said there's a story behind it. He'll let Jim talk more about the story. But it's basically that like it's a guy who represents the team correctly is doing that what they all should be doing. And Juan Thornhill also got asked about it and said, it's not just that he wore a jersey, like he got up in front of the team meeting and gave a little speech, like explaining why he was. So I do think like that outward kind of recognition is important. And like, yeah, like this is kind of, they're going to hit a point where it's like the dog days of the preseason. And it's just a grind to get to that first game, especially with it being a longer preseason this year for them with the Hall of Fame game and everything. So um, I definitely think like it's an interesting energy to see him bring that right off the bat. And from what we know about Jim Schwartz, like I'm not really surprised that he has a trick like that up his sleeve to kind of help with motivation or, you know, give acknowledgement. Okay. So Ashley, what did you take away from today? Yeah. I, besides um, the Jim Schwartz jersey, I also wrote about Juan Thornhill. So that will be my other takeaway, you know, with Juan, we've been noticing over the last couple of weeks, like very intense seeming on Twitter, right. And talking about no negativity. And if you're going to be negative, we don't want you around. Like, you know, it was just very like, what is he tweeting about? What negativity is he seeing? But I thought it was like an interesting insight into kind of who Juan is today, because he's very smiley, very bubbly, very energetic. And, you know, he's like, for me, it's, it's not just, I think, about him wanting to be this beacon of positivity in the Browns locker room on the Browns defense. Like, I think he truly believes, like, I come from this place in Kansas City, where we were 
going to Super Bowls. He went to three Super Bowls. He won two of them in the first four years of his career. And I think, like, he wants to bring his championship pedigree here, and he wants to bring that same kind of energy to, like, anyone who cares about the Browns, any fans, and he just kind of wants to to be positive. And, you know, I asked him, like, are you a kind of player who wants to speak things into existence? Is that why you're doing this? And he basically said, yeah, like, you can't say negative things or I believe negative things are going to happen. So he's trying to keep all that at bay, bring the energy, be positive, and kind of have everyone else follow his lead. I thought it was a a, a good explanation, Mary Kay. Um, it was something that got asked very early. I, I I think you were the one that asked it. I can't remember. Um, but just his, I, I just, I just liked the way he explained it. I, I thought it was a good answer. Yeah, it was a really good answer. He's got a great personality. He really does have a great personality. I think Browns fans are going to really embrace him and love him. I think he's going to be out there. I think he's going to be going to be so incredibly vocal and visible. I think he's going to be out in the community. We're already seeing him do things like throwing out the first pitch at the Guardians game, which he did that last night. Uh, He did a really nice job of it, by the way. Um, And I just think that he's going to be noticed. And I think he's excited about that. But here's something Here's a point that that I would like to, to make about this. A lot of times guys will come to Cleveland underestimating how much it is a a big small market. It is a it 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 plays big out there on social media. It moves the social media needle. You can't get away with anything. If you say something about, oh hey, you know. The fans shouldn't be negative. I mean, you're going to hear about it in, in Cleveland and from Browns fans, right? Um, you know, it's just a, a huge number of fans out there with eyes on this football team. And I always say that about uh, the Cleveland Browns. It's a it's a big, big, small market. I mean, when you think about it in terms of national media wanting to get the Browns stories, you know, first and wanting to break things. I mean, it's behind teams like, you know, the New York teams and Dallas and New England and teams like that. It's like right behind that first tier of huge market teams. Then you have the Browns. And I mean, just look at how many people were there today. Like it was just a a Wednesday OTA practice. And, you know, there weren't big national people around today, but the number of cameras, the number of like everybody was covering this practice and, you know, locally. And I, you know, especially with the guardians being down now and the Cavs, you know, they're out of season, all the, all the focus turns to the Browns. And I mean, Ashley, you've covered all three a lot recently. Um, Obviously, you know, I've, I've kind of been around all three, you know, at at different times. It's just not the same. Like the guardians and Cavs are covered like, teams in Cleveland, you'd expect those teams to be covered, but the Browns are yes. covered like a major market organization, major market team. Yeah. Like it is like night and day. It feels when, when I go from, you know, the end of Brown season to the, the start of Cavs season, for example, like obviously the NBA season's a much longer grind. Like the interest, it seems like from fans, you know, they're always like diehard fans of those teams in Cleveland, but the wider interest seems to me like to always kind of ebb and flow regarding like how the team is doing. Like the Browns, there's always, 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 always going to be interest in them. Like, and I think there's always something interesting about them, whether they're winning or whether they're losing. 
Um, so I do think like, yes, if you're not that familiar with Cleveland, <laughs> it's easy to like, I guess, misinterpret how, how easy it is for in this little vacuum that we live in and that we cover for things to blow up. I mean, we've all seen it happen to players' family members when they say something that they could think is maybe a little bit innocuous or well-meaning and it gets blown out of proportion. And all of a sudden you have a bunch of people on Twitter um, yelling at you in your mentions. So I think for me with Juan, like it, it, that concern is still like, okay, maybe does he need to not be looking at the mentions so much? Like, could that negatively impact him? I think for me with players, it's always like, it's the social media aspect of things is going to negatively impact your mindset, then you should do what we do and not look at your mentions or scroll or things like that. But if you genuinely can, in a healthy way, find motivation from it or anything like that, then then feel free to do what you're doing. I just think you always kind of have to be wary of your own mental state and if it's taking up too much of your energy. But that goes for everyone, really. Can, can I go on? I don't know if I do call this a little mini rant, but a little, little mini, I guess a, a mini rant here. Just, you know, make sure you take the time to get to know the people that are there every day. And, you know, those of us that cover the team every day and talk to the player at every, every at every game, in the locker room every day, at every press conference, because we're a little different than like some dude on a show or a radio show or an internet, whatever it is, a, a YouTube show, wherever you find it, we're a little different than them. We're not out here trying to get off hot takes to piss people off. Um, you, you can be, you, you can be a little nice. And I'm not saying that he isn't, isn't nice to us, but like there is a difference between like the folks that are there every single day and the folks that are on radio and TV and are never there. And they're, they're trying to get their takes off. There's just a difference there in, in how that's covered. And again, that's just part of kind of this Cleveland market and how big the Browns are. And, and Mary Kay, I mean, you know this as well as anybody too, like the Browns move the needle no matter what. Yeah. And, you know, I think Zadarius Smith, I'm going to be very interested to see how that uh, goes going forward because he has played in Baltimore. He has played uh, in Green Bay and he's played in Minnesota. And once again, I think those are all markets um, that, you know, from a media standpoint, you know, they don't really rise to the level of um, they don't really rise to the level of the Cleveland Browns media. So, um, you know, I, I'm going to be really interested to see how Zadarius handles it, because as, as we have mentioned before, he um, at one point and I've got to look it up at some point, he um he had a little media boycott somewhere. I don't know where that was. Um, and he wasn't supposedly like the, you know, the go-to guy after games and stuff like that. So, you know, I think we're a really fair media, but we're also a big media. And so I'm, I'm very interested to see how it compares for him. But I've talked to so many players over the years where they'll be like, oh, or coaches too, where they'll, they'll be like, oh, well, no, it was just, you know, me and two guys sitting in front of me at, at the press conference, right? I mean, you guys have heard. Do you, do you remember say. Mike Prefer when when yes. Mike showed up for his first yes. press conference? He was shocked how many people, and yes. he's from Cleveland. He was shocked how many people were there. Right, and he came from Minnesota, right? Um, and it's just, it just, it doesn't pack the same wallop that it does here. So Juan Thornhill and Zadarius and, and all these guys that are coming in from all of these other places. And I mean, now Philly is a big media market, obviously. New York is a big media market. Those guys aren't going to be phased or shocked or anything 
uh, like that. But um, but what you say here plays big and people are going to notice it. And I think they're going to find out that it's, you know, this is not some little small town. I've heard, you know, guys, sometimes they go to Florida and they're like, oh, yeah, this reminds me of Gainesville. <laughs> it's like this is not Gainesville. You're going to find out right away. This is not Gainesville. Okay, we're going to take a break here on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. And we come back, uh, a few more things that stood out to us today at OTAs. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock, recapping OTAs, some things that stood out to us. We got to hear from Elijah Moore today, the first time we've talked to him in person. Uh, we did have a Zoom call with him right after he signed. Uh, Mary Kay, I thought he was really good today. I thought he was very... Um, open about his experiences in New York and, and how he kind of learned some lessons and kind of what he's picking up from Deshaun Watson. What, what did you think of Elijah today? You know what? I'll tell you what. The thing that stood out to me and the thing that I wrote about was the fact that he really did learn about Deshaun Watson on that Puerto Rico trip, just how dedicated he is to his craft. He was talking about how we would be in the hotel room and he'd be back in the playbook. We were on the beach. He was in the playbook. And I thought that was very telling. I mean, Deshaun hosted the offensive players on this trip to Puerto Rico and some defensive guys went on their own as well. But Deshaun took those offensive guys down there for team bonding, for, you know, on-field work, for in-the-sand work and all that kind of stuff. And he really showed them something. He showed a young guy like Elijah Moore just what it takes to be really great. And I'll tell you, those multiple pro bowlers, those three-time pro bowlers, those four-time pro bowlers, they're different. They are different. Uh, They're way up here. The bar is set very, very high. And I think that a young guy like Elijah Moore learned what it takes to be great, by watching Deshaun. And I think that's so vitally important. And actually, I mean, we just talked about market size and like what it's like in Cleveland. I think expectations for Elijah Moore are like insanely high right now from this fan base. Like they know who Amari Cooper is. They know what Donovan Peoples-Jones did. But I think there is this expectation among this fan base that Elijah Moore is going to make this gigantic leap playing with Deshaun Watson. And I'm sure he had expectations like that in New York. He was a high enough draft pick, but I I just think it's going to be a little different here for him. What fans expect to see out of him. I do too. Like he's, you know, I think Amari Cooper leads that room, right? But he's suddenly become one of the stars of the show without, you know, making his premiere yet here in Cleveland to continue the analogy. Like I think, Fans by the end, and again, we talked about how passionate Browns fans can be about certain things. Like, fans know what was going on with that receiving core and what was missing last year. Everyone knew it was like that speed element. And I think the if fans know one thing about Elijah Moore, it's that he brings that. And if they know two things about Elijah Moore, it's that he had a really good rookie year. And last year, things didn't end so well for him in New York. So I think there's like those two things coupling together have kind of created – 
this tornado of expectation around him in the city that, you know, I think there, he seems like a guy who, especially the fact that he's coming from New York, is maybe poised to be able to handle that a little bit better given the size of the media market than like some other younger players would. So I do think it's interesting. It's something to keep an eye on. It's noteworthy. Um, but I'm not surprised he has all this expectation given his background so far in the NFL. And I, I think too, it just speaks to that excitement to play with Deshaun Watson. Like he just hasn't had the quarterback play that you'd, you'd want to have. We're talking Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, uh, you know, old, old Joe Flacco. And, you know, he's, he's, he was part of the Aaron Rodgers trade. So he's missing out on that, but that, that excitement to play with Deshaun Watson and understanding Mary Kay of how much better he can make you. If he's Deshaun Watson of 2020 or anything, even close to that, if he's 80% of that, it's going to make Elijah Moore a better receiver just by default. Yes, and we have been talking about how many 1,000-yard receivers we think the Browns can have. I think, and I think we're probably in agreement on this, I think there's going to be at least two and probably three when you factor in another tight end or somebody else, receiver, whatever. Uh, And I think Elijah Moore can be one of those 1,000-yard receivers. He reminds me a little bit of a sort of an Odell Beckham Jr. type of player, right? And I think that... Uh, you know, if if he's as good as he can be and that the Browns think he is, uh, then I think he should be able to get to 1,000 yards with Deshaun Watson, who, as we know, led the NFL with more than 4,800 in 2020. Uh, so, I, you know, I think he's got what it takes. I think now he's going to work for it. And like you mentioned, Dan, he hasn't consistently had that really, really good quarterback that can get him there and that can take him there. And now he feels wanted. He did not feel wanted. He did not feel valued. And I think it was a wake-up call for him last year, how that all went down in New York. And I think he's ready to, uh, as he said today, be what this team needs him to be. If he needs to be vocal in a quiet wide receiver room, he'll be vocal. If he needs to be you know, playing in the slot, he'll play in the slot. I think he's ready to do whatever it takes to get his career back on track. Okay, let's hit on one more thing here. And that's, of course, because this is OTAs, because it's voluntary, uh, not everyone was in attendance. So the players who weren't there, and I, I actually didn't bring my roster down here, but I think I can remember him off the top of my head. Michael Woods was not there. Of course, he's he uh, ruptured that Achilles uh, training with Deshaun Watson. Uh, Joe Haig was not there. But the big names that weren't there, Nick Chubb, uh, David Njoku and Miles Garrett. Joel Batonio is also not there, which um, kind of as expected, he's sort of has not been coming since the whole JC Treader situation um, when, when JC was kind of trying to to do away with the offseason program or at least put the voluntary back into it. Uh, we're going to push back against that a little bit here. JC, JC, I think, you know, Mary Kay, look, it is voluntary and it is their choice not to show up. And certainly a guy like Joel Batonio, a guy like Miles Garrett, they don't necessarily need to practice to get where they need to get to. They know what their bodies need. But there is a little something to like having everyone there, especially on the day when like the media is there and we're all saying, hey, 100% attendance. I do think it sends a certain message. So I guess, how do you view guys making that decision, especially prominent players, uh, to to not be there um, at, at a time when the Browns really are trying to kind of turn this thing into a, a Super Bowl season? 
Well, and you know, I know the coaches really appreciate it when guys show up and when they work hard for for things like this. I remember Andy Reid talking about this in Kansas City about how important it is for guys to show up, and we've heard guys like Patrick Mahomes talk about how important it is. Uh, I've heard Joe Burrow talk about it. Uh, so I do think that coaches really do appreciate it when players, especially their key players, their stars on the team show up, show how important this is, and and put that time in. So, you know, we're talking about some pretty high-level players that, that weren't there today. It's only two weeks now. There's only two weeks of OTAs. They lopped off one of those weeks, and they moved minicamp up earlier uh, because of the early uh, preseason game against the Jets August 3rd in the Hall of Fame game. Uh, so things are a little bit truncated and you only need to be here for probably, I guess it would be six practices um, of OTAs. So I would think that with Jim Schwartz, you know, being the new defensive coordinator and installing a system. And, you know, we looked around out there. We saw Zadarius Smith and Dalvin Tomlinson and Rodney McLeod and Juan Thornhill and, you know, Maurice Hurst and Tristan Hill and all those guys. Um, I know it would have been appreciated. Um, if Miles would have shown up. But I know they, you know, they also know that it is voluntary. So nobody's allowed to hold it against anyone. Uh, I, I just know that uh, you do, I think, at least get a few brownie points for coming to something voluntary like this and, and you know, and putting in that time and showing that commitment. Yeah. And, you know, like those brownie points don't necessarily matter as much for Miles, right? Like he's not going to lose his job. Joel's not going to lose his job. You know, Nick's not going to lose his job. But it does just send a message to guys. Like I'm sure in that secondary, Ashley, when Denzel Ward shows up to this thing, like Denzel Ward doesn't need to show up. He's gotten paid. He's the number one corner. His job is safe. But he, you know, he's been there pretty consistently um, yeah. since. I mean, the, the COVID year was funky for everybody, but really. He's always there in OTAs. And, you know, Mary Kay went through that list of veteran guys. Like, Rodney McLeod doesn't need this, but no. he's there. Juan Thornhill's there. It's just, I do think it says something. So, again, I Miles can do what he wants. Joel, the, all these guys can do what they want. It is voluntary. But I, I just do think, maybe I'm playing both sides of this too much. I do think there's like a... Let's all show up for three weeks and send a message to the league that, like, we're taking this thing serious. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's like, I think with when it comes to players and everything like that, I've always kind of thought they're the ones who go out there during the season and put their bodies on the line. Like, like you said, Dan, it's like they know what their bodies need to some extent. But I think for me, like this year with the defense, especially this is a new defense. And like, I know, you know, Miles Garrett is going to be Miles Garrett regardless of it, but it is, there is an element of that. I think like ideally Yes, like you want your defensive leaders to be at these things if they're able to, and if they're able to participate, like just to to be another voice who is helping implement the system and showing younger guys how it's done. I mean, I think that's part of it. I think another part of it is look at how many new defensive players they have on this team, especially defensive linemen. Um, and Miles Garrett is the leader of that pack. You know, Sidarius Smith even said it, it was one of the first things he said today. Um, so I think, you know, it goes like, a long ways, not maybe in terms of X's and O's, right? Because again, there's no contact, there's no pads, but just in getting like a chemistry, a feel for each other. And granted, like there are other ways you can accomplish that. But I do think like 
it doesn't hurt to show up to the East to try to help further those kind of goals too. And I guess I'll, I'll cover us a little bit here and just mention, we don't know exactly why every single player wasn't there. Um, if there was something going on personally or, or whatever the reason is, you know, we, none of that was divulged to us. It doesn't have to be, but so we'll, we'll just cover all of our bases there just in case there's some really good reason that, that maybe a player wasn't there. Um, but, you know, Mary Kidge, Zadarius is a great example. He doesn't need to be there. I mean, he's he's pretty safe in his role. He's not fighting for a job. He doesn't need to be there, but he's there. I, I do think, do you have to be there for all of them? Maybe not. But again, I, I do think there is a, there's a tone you can set by showing up. Yeah, Zadarius was talking today about some of the uh, pointers and tips that he was giving to some of the younger players about their footwork and stuff like that. And so I think that's one of the benefits, as Ashley was mentioning, that you can get from having those guys there. But also, you know, I was kind of looking forward to seeing uh, Zadarius interact with Miles and see how those guys kind of, uh, you know, kind of hit it off together in the early going here. So uh, there's a lot you can take from it. But once again, as J.C. Treader hammered home, I mean hammered home for the past couple of years, it is voluntary. You don't need to be here. And if it were up to J.C. and the NFLPA, they would not have guys coming to these workouts. They do not think that they should have to do it. And they were adamant about that. And so, um, you know, that might be one of the reasons that, you know, that, that Joel abides by it. Uh, because, you know, he takes his time in his off season to take care of his body the way that he wants to and the way that he needs to. So I think we should really emphasize, maybe overemphasize the fact that that is their right. That is their prerogative not to be there and to handle their off season the way that they want to. So, you know, these are pro bowlers that we're talking about. You know, they know what it takes to get ready for a season. They know what it takes to be great. And they're doing it on their own terms. So we will give them that. And and I will say this, the the, the thing about JC that he was really fighting for was that voluntary, like we all kind of know how it is, right? Like you say voluntary, but do you mean voluntary? And JC wanted to make sure they meant voluntary. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Mary Kay, you had kids who played sports. You know, I like we've all had that discussion. Like, I know it's voluntary, but maybe you should go to that workout. Maybe you Mm -hmm. should go to that practice or like, you know, you could that's that looks good if you show up for that. And it really shouldn't be like that. But that's how it is. And and that's certainly what JC wanted to fight for. He wanted to make sure that the voluntary was very emphasized in all of that. Yeah. And the Browns, you know, they did not love the fact that he so strongly discouraged players from showing up from the offseason program because you do have other teams that are coming out in full force and getting that jump on the season. I mean, there, you know, there's good football practice going on out there today. We saw some things. I mean, you get, you know, you start to get some timing down. Deshaun's out there uh, throwing the deep ball around. Uh, you know, these, these guys are, are out there, you know, trying to be in position to break up a pass or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, showing some burst off the edge and, uh, you know, simulating getting to the quarterback. I mean, there are some things going on, um, not the least of which is the installation of a defense. So um, so I do think that it probably would help them get ahead of the game a little bit. But I, I think we all three are saying the same thing here, that we can understand both sides of it. We can see the side of it where, 
it's your off season and you can do with it what you want. Yeah. And look, if the Browns go win the Super Bowl this year, go ahead and clip this and, and play it and <laughs> run, run it back. Run it back at us if if you want to. That's fine. You don't win Super Bowls in May, but you know, you can you can at least start to lay a little bit of a foundation. Uh, but yeah. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We had stuff going out to our football insiders today via text. Uh, of course, that newsletter goes out every day as well. Uh, some of those stories you need to be a football insider subscriber to read. So go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up for that. And just make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and on YouTube. Search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com and get subscribed to our YouTube channel. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.